Welcome back to the Social Impact Level Up podcast. This is where we blur the lines between business, nonprofit, and impact. I'm your host, Wendy V, and I'm a social impact strategist here to help you build a successful and sustainable legacy of social change. In this week's episode, we're going to hear from a social entrepreneur who has been on a journey to change the world just like you. If you are interested in social entrepreneurship, this is the place for you. Let's jump right into this week's episode. Hey everyone, it's me, Wendy V. I am back with one of my wonderful friends and it is the Social Impact Level Up podcast. Now we are here today to talk all about social enterprises and you know that I love to talk about these things. So I always bring experts to share their experience. Now here is my friend, Stephanie. And Stephanie, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and tell us all about how you got into this into this field. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> yeah, so quick intro, and then we'll get started and jump right into the conversation. Awesome. Thanks so much, Wendy. I am really happy to be here. This is one of my favorite subjects. This is what I built my business around. So this is awesome. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Stephanie Malon Rufi, and my business is Spark Good. And I do consulting and coaching in this realm with social entrepreneurs, social business owners, social impact businesses, there's a few names for it, as we know. <laughs> um, and I really work with uh, business owners in both the personal space of how are they uh, being the business owner that they want to be, that they need to be, that's not um, kind of sacrificing their personal life and personal priorities. So how is they able to show up for their business and that works for them? And then also that they're creating a business that is both um, financially viable for themselves and also having a social impact um, in the world. And so I really work with how, how is that business doing it? What's their strategy? Um, and we probably get a little bit more into marketing in my, in my arena. Yeah. And I'm that. sure a lot of listeners noticed, hmm, there's some parallels between what you and Wendy do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is why we connected because we have such alignment in our passion uh, for exactly. doing this work and we need more people doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, there's never enough. I think. I think so too. And part of it, I, I don't know about you. I find not everyone quite as I said, there's kind of different names for it. And it's somewhat fragmented in terms of people really getting how it can all come together. So I love just keeping that conversation going and talking about it. And one of the things you asked was sort of how I first got into it. And so I'll just back up a little bit and say, um, long ago, when I was earlier in my career, um, and I was more in the nonprofit world, right? I mean, that happens, I think a lot of people in this social enterprise space. Um, In fact, some um, nonprofits are social enterprises and have that, but, um, and it's a lot of people who are very um, passionate about work, looking for more mission-driven work than you find in traditional business or corporate America, right? And so I really started in, in the nonprofit world and, um, at an organization though, that was a social enterprise, didn't identify itself as that because it started in like the early 1980s. I wasn't there then, of course, <laughs> but um, th- that's when it had started because it ran lines of business that were subsidizing essentially their budget, um, working with individuals who were in halfway houses. So they'd been in a treatment program from addiction and then living in a halfway house. And a lot of people who maybe don't have work skills or have kind of a 
you know, challenging work history. So to find employment can be difficult. And so it was providing employment opportunity and businesses that then were helping to fund um, the nonprofit. So, so that was my first entree into this world. And I was like, wow, this is cool. And I love all the business pieces of this. So that's what took me on this path. And you said something very profound. So we talk about blurring the lines between business, nonprofit, and impact. (laughs) That Mm. is part of our mission for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And you completely blurred the lines (laughs) by the statement that some nonprofits are actually social enterprises. Mm. Can you explain how that works for people who are used to thinking about them maybe as two completely separate things? Yes. And so, and when the way I look at that, that social, social enterprise or what that model is, is when there is, um, sort of a market-based element to the business, to the work that they're doing, right? So that, um, that, that the business that the nonprofit could be running or the program, that it's actually, it's market-based in the sense that it could be competing with other businesses that aren't a social enterprise, right? They don't have a social impact, yet they might be working in the same space. And so that's how I really see that as, and nonprofits do that, right? They have these, sometimes it's a very specific arm because they want to have some revenue that they, um, is earned revenue as opposed to grants, right? Or other kind of fundraising. And so, but, but it's really that market-based piece of it. That's how I describe it. And I think for some nonprofits or for nonprofits, you can only have so much of your budget come from that portion, right? Correct. Right. And some of them will have us, I mean, there can be a separate legal entity um, that is also doing that work then. And then the the profit from that is going into the nonprofit. So there's different um, sort of, I guess, legal structures to, to how they do that as well. Yeah. And for people who are going, wow, I never thought of that. I'm sure that just perked up a few ears (laughs) because I always hear about people who have a business idea, but they also have an impact idea at the same time. Mm. And they're going, how do I structure this or how do I work it? So I think you just gave some people some very valuable (laughs) insight into a couple of different ways that that could go. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, your time in that transition period when you were becoming a social entrepreneur on your own, starting your own business, what was that like for you, that journey of um, going from working for someone else to being your own boss and Mm. doing things in the way that you want to do them? Yes. I would say it was a long journey for me. (laughs) And I think it took me a long time to realize that that's really where I was going and that's really what I wanted. Um, And so I you know, worked, I was part-time working for a business that was, um, that was a social business, had an environmental impact, was also women owned and women run. And so great experience. I was kind of in at the ground floor um, and also went through some rounds of funding with them. So really got a great hands-on experience working in that business, but it was part-time. And then I was doing some different consulting projects. um, And so so it was slowly building to, okay, what is it that you really love to do? And, and realizing that, hey, I can, I can create my own business out of this, you know, but I mean, it was, it was a number of years, because I think we don't always identify with, I didn't at least like, oh, I, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to have my own business that wasn't, it, it, <laughs> it was, it was a slow realization for me. Yeah. In season one, we did a lot of discussion about what that looks like for people. And I think it's different for everyone, how you move from that employee to boss mindset. And once you get there, you're going, wait, 
suddenly I'm a business owner. I'm <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, just, it's almost like one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I don't work for somebody else. I work for me. <laughs> And exactly. You, and then you're the janitor and the accountant. And oh, like, everything. <laughs> everything. It's really kind of a funny transition for a lot of folks. So I'm excited to hear about your transition. And as you've been doing this work, you've grown over time. You've been doing mm. it for a while. You've kind of been through this journey and yes. you've been able to help other people through that journey. So can you describe kind of mm. what that impact looks like for the people that you serve or what kind of transformation that you're able to provide them mm -hmm. so that people understand a little bit more about, you know, once they go through coaching with someone like you or me, what does that look like for the outcome? Yeah. And so I think, and, and again, it's, you know, there's kind of the two parts as I see it. So there's that individual business owner and then, and then their business that they're creating. And so for me, like the, the, the most successful situations is where that business owner is able to, um, to feel a sense of I uh, confidence in, I know what I'm doing. I know where this is going. Um, for the most part, there's a lot of unknown, but you have to get comfortable with the unknown, right? But having enough confidence to know, okay, I, I've kind of done my work and I see the vision that I want. And I've, you know, I've been putting in this, this efforts and I'm putting something out there and people are, are buying it and they're receptive to it. Um, and so enough that they can keep going. And so a lot of times that's what happens in our work is, is helping to just build that realization of, of the confidence and, and knowing um, where you're headed and then working to help make some strategic decisions, right? A lot of times I work with people who they've been in business maybe a few years, could be on the side, could be full-time, kind of a variety of ways. They've had some some success in terms of, of sales. People are, you know, they're getting what they're doing, but they really, they need to amp it up a notch. And a lot of times the part of it is that they're doing a lot of different things and maybe too many different things. And so they can't really go in, in one particular area. And so that's a big part of what I do as well is helping people identify where should I really hone in? Because while it seems scary, but there usually is a place that you really need to to focus to make it to make it go. And so that's a I would say another big part of what we do. I love that because I, I do think a lot of the journey when you don't have a coach is scary, right? It's, yes. it's, <laughs> that's kind of what a, a person providing you support can offer, not only the confidence, but almost a feeling of a safety net for how you can get to the successful point or um, to see the blind spots that you don't see. Have you, have you found something similar? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's that outside perspective, right? Because when you're, the farther you're getting in it, the harder it is to step back and you forget that, right? And so, so I think, yes, it's that outside perspective from somebody who's knowledgeable, right? Who's like, yes, I have either myself or I've worked with others. Um, so it's like someone who can really give you that outside perspective and like, yes, this is, you know, that encouragement too. 
Absolutely. And I think that for a lot of the people I work with, they just kind of want that, um, that at a girl at a boy sort of situation sometimes as well <laughs> you know it's someone to be there to positively reinforce their actions and say this is a good idea or this is a good approach or this is something that you need to work on and so I am sure that you do that as well <laughs> <laughs> yes yes as long right but then it, and sometimes it's hard though because sometimes maybe something really isn't working mm -hmm. you know and you try and it's you know I'm a big fan you're just right getting into that experimenting loop and putting something out there and refining it and sometimes right it can be hard though if something's really not working then you have to sometimes be that person to help help that entrepreneur figure out we need a big adjustment here right yeah i call that strategic abandonment it's a term i, oh. I borrowed from a colleague years ago i love that yeah she's from the american federation of teachers she was presenting to us and and years ago she mentioned this and i have used it ever since mm, because well, thank you i yeah, think i will <laughs> it is great and it's it's almost like that part of the strategy is you have to be okay with walking away from an unsuccessful strategy right and, it, and there's sometimes people like us who are really knee deep and looking at strategies all the time <laughs> that can see that a lot clearer than someone else. Totally. And the key to that is it's, you're not walking away from your vision and dream. It's right. I mean, when it's like, it's rare that I don't know that I've ever worked with someone that it's like, you have to abandon the whole, that part of it, but it's that strategy, right? It's the way you're going about it might need, might need to change. Yeah. And then, and when you're strategically abandoning it, you're opening the door for things mm. that are either going to work mm -hmm. more and more in alignment with you or more in align with your overall strategy. So I think there's also that, that blessing that's awaiting to come on the back end. If you do actually abandon the unsuccessful strategy, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of creates room for the other thing. Totally. Um, and since talking about dreams and talking about vision, I'm glad you went there. Cause that was a mm -hmm. question that popped right into my head. How early did you know in your life and your life trajectory that you mm. wanted to help other people? Mm. I mean, that was probably in before college, even. I just, um, <clears throat> that was just always, um, and, and maybe <laughs> I should have been more fixated on like, but what about earning a living, right? Uh, <laughs> not that they have to be opposing, you know, at opposing sides, which I think was part of this process of learning or going into social entrepreneurship, right? Because I feel like those things come together, like really love in a lovely way. But um, so I would say even like, as I, yeah, was, was in high school, and then like, kind of looking into to college, and um, I, I went into psychology and sociology in college, because I sort of the idea of like, helping people community society, how things work, like, I love all of that. I mean, I could have been like a quadruple major, you know, I loved anthropology, like, which I think fits in. <laughs> um, but so I so it was pretty early on, which is why I ended sort of ended up in that nonprofit world to begin with, but, um, and, and thought I would do, be doing more like direct service work, but realized, realized I didn't have good boundaries in doing that, which I think a lot of that shifted just um, overall in the field. But like when you're doing like that, deep work with people um, and providing um, services and care, that can be really hard if you don't have some of that in place to protect, just protect your own self. Yeah. I think the earliest that I realized I wanted to help people was about eighth grade. It mm. was pretty, pretty darn early and, mm. I, and I didn't know what to do with it. Right. So I ended up like you, I kind of bounced into 
uh, psychology as an undergrad, mm-hmm. social work as a grad, and then eventually into nonprofit and then into the government. And then there I sat mm. for a really long time, right? I didn't do anything. And so I, what I like to hear about your your journey is that you've kind of ebbed and flowed and pivoted and found your place yes. now. And you didn't have almost as linear of a path as I did, but, um, but we both kind of came to the same spot. <laughs> yes, for <laughs> sure. Cool. And I had a real um, awakening because I actually went to business school, which was complete kind of a complete uh, right turn, I don't know, in a different direction. And believe me, I was not around a lot of people who were interested in helping other people. And now I think that has changed as well, actually, in business school. But I mean, this was, you know, a number of years ago. Um, And so, but it was good. I was like, well, this is good. This is kind of like testing me, right? We're in an environment that we're not as comfortable in or um, so it was a great experience. And I, I learned, I learned a lot. Yeah. And, and I'm sure in business school, as you found in business, it has traditionally been very male dominated mm. and being a woman in these mm. spaces mm-hmm. can sometimes either be very lonely. It's actually very comforting to know that you even exist because I was like, I, when people told me do competitor research and I was like, but of who? <laughs> <laughs> researching on and then the first time we met I was like I've got to look at your website and I I need I need a competitor (laughs) and I love that you were like sure (laughs) so what was that like for you being a woman I'm sure probably even in a lot of conversations oh I mean the only woman oh absolutely there were only a handful of us and like in the first year of business school maybe it was the first semester I don't remember you're put into like you have a core group that you're in to do certain projects and everything like that and of course they sprinkled the women so like every group it was all men and then was one woman because it was like you know, 10 to 20% women. Uh, yes. And especially I had gone to an all girls high school. So <laughs> it's like, Oh, here we go. So you <laughs> but, became right. like the token woman in the totally. Group. And then the Toka, Oh, she's into nonprofit. Right. So then you kind of got a little pigeonholed. Yeah. So it's real. it was, it was a really interesting experience. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I hate being the token woman, to be honest. Sometimes I'm like, why didn't you just put it? Or were you scared to put all the women together because you knew we were going to win whatever competition this was? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm always curious about that. It's funny that you sprinkle us around to just see what happens. Uh, but I, yeah, that's such a cool story. And a word that you mentioned that really was powerful, um, and you just kind of said it on the fly, but it was boundaries. Mm. So I want to go back to mm, the boundaries. Mm-hmm. What boundaries have you had to set as a business owner in order to be successful? Mm. So, yeah, that's, um, I love that question. I would say, and right away, I kind of think both um, kind of like personally setting some boundaries, just even um, with my personal life. So, so I'm married and I have, I have some kids and, you know, so there's some certain boundaries um, that have to just be in place because I work from home. I have this sort of seemingly very flexible schedule. Right. So, so a lot of times that means that sort of things default, right. In terms of home life can default. And so having to be really clear about when that works or when that doesn't or, and what that looks like. So I would just think, you know, that's just one, one place. Um, and of course, COVID kind of threw all of that out the window, but we're coming, we're coming back, we're coming back. But another place I would say um, is boundaries in terms of what work I'll do and what I won't do. And that's, that can be hard to, um, 
to make those decisions um, and also sort of maintaining those boundaries. And along those lines, even like how much um, leeway kind of write with some with clients and that kind of thing and sort of boundaries around my own time and space and sort of what's what's appropriate for communication and what's not. I would say that's another one. Oh, yeah. What time you can message me and what time you can't message me. <laughs> right. And expect to hear from me or not or that kind of thing, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because before in a nine to five, those boundaries are almost kind of set for you around whatever your work hours are. And then you go home. But even like you said, if your work is at home and people are kind of coming to you via Zoom and via calls and via other things, that quickly could turn into people thinking that it's acceptable to call you at 10 p.m. or on a Saturday. And if those yes. are not part of your work hours, it, it, it sometimes doesn't catch for people that I'm not open right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and for myself, too, you know, I think about even time sort of out of office or vacation. I mean, I it's like I carry my laptop and my backpack around like it is my security blanket. And I mean, really. And in fact, last or earlier this year, I was flying out. Um, I was just on a trip. I was visiting my my mom. I was just going by myself. I get to the airport. Guess what I forgot? My laptop. And I realized it in the security line. I about died. Now I was only, I was gone for a long weekend and the intention wasn't to work, but of course, see, and this is where I was like, this is a good reminder that you need to be, I have better boundaries with myself about that. I, I would have one maybe thought about buying a new one <laughs> or oh, almost like, right. As like, can someone FedEx it to me I, for the weekends? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, it, yes. But I probably would have settled with just working from my phone, which is a nasty boundary that I need to set well, for myself. And see, and, and my mom had an iPad with like a magic keyboard so I could access, you know, some things in the cloud that I needed to. But it definitely made me do less, I will say. Yeah, maybe we should like have a mutual commitment to each other <laughs> that on vacation means like we actually don't bring laptops with us. <laughs> I know. It's so true. We need a buddy system for this this addiction that we have. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and I'm sure other people can identify with that because in some ways when you're the, the solopreneur, you're the owner, mm. you're the responsible party, you want to feel um, like you're, you're doing your due diligence, right? You don't, you don't want to let yourself down, but you also don't realize that maybe by not being checked in and present, you're actually letting yourself down. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's at least right. my finding, especially no. with your family. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so tell me more about, um, how has your, your journey with your own self-discovery and your, um, your ability to like follow your vision and execute. What has that been like for you? Just transformation, mindset shifts, things that you've had mm. to do to really come into the space that you're in today. Yes. Um, you know, for me, so one of the biggest hurdles for me that I probably am still working on is, so when you're right, the business owner, you're this, especially when you're the solo person leading, um, you have to put yourself, you have to get out there. And you can't, you know, if you really want to make a go of this, you have to get out there. Um, and I just, I mean, right, like visi the visibility piece and just doing outreach and sort of kind of some of that 
um, that work that's not always comfortable because it feels risky. It feels vulnerable, especially when it's something like for me that I'm very passionate about. It's very personal, right? It's my business, but it's personal. And so they have to go out there. And um, so, so for me, that's, I think one has been one of the most challenging pieces that, um, and then also sort of detaching from uh, sometimes maybe what happens or other people's opinions, right? Um, so for me, that's like been one of the biggest um, learnings. As I said, it's still ongoing, but I try to notice for myself when um, when I can tell that I'm getting better. And I'll tell you a quick example because it relates to us scheduling this podcast because uh, the day we scheduled it that afternoon when I signed up on your link, that particular morning, I was supposed to be interviewed on another podcast and the host emailed me who had reached out to me and kind of set this up. She reached out and said, you know what, we're going in a different direction. And unfortunately we can't use your, your, you on the podcast. And it, right. I was just like, Oh, and then I was like, Oh, well, you know what, in my mind, that was of all the podcasts that I'm, you know, kind of connected with, or that I'm looking at going on. That was the one that was the least fit on my end. So, so it was like this, like momentary, and I was like, oh, okay. And then that afternoon scheduled this with you. So, which is super in alignment with what you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> so that, so it's like that kind of, you know, shift again, it's a little thing, but it's like all those little things that we do all the time, right. All these interactions. And so for me, it's, it's working on that and, and just really um, embracing it and not being as self even like self-conscious or worried. And it's, it's so hard sometimes to not be self-conscious because I know mm. even for me, uh, even just today, I, my face is on a, a couple of different flyers right now. And I think Ed, when I first started this, I was so apprehensive about seeing my face places. I just wasn't used to it as a normal person having mm. my, me be part of the advertisement of something. And now I realize that me being part of the advertisement is actually for my own business. So it's kind of okay that I'm advertising for myself, you know, yes, like I'm yes. in a commercial for <laughs> McDonald's or something. It's, it's really kind of funny, but it was definitely a mindset shift that I had to go mm. through too, of, of how do you show up, you know, both in person and online and do it in an authentic way. Exactly. And that's what I want to hear from you. Like, mm. what has your journey been like to share authentically as, as a woman, as a person who's. Yeah. And I think work? that's even, that's kind of honestly ongoing for me about how, how that lands. Um, one thing for me was, I would say a couple of things that have helped me in that process. One is podcasting, right? Because you're kind of um, forced into a situation where you have to continuously show up and at least get your voice out there. Although today we're, we're also getting ourselves, which is lovely. Um, and so, so, so one is just like that consistent practice and like agreeing to do that. Um, and, and so another one for me where that's also been really helpful and beneficial is, um, is the, is email communications and like having a email list that I every week write something and it is, sometimes business and sometimes it's more personal. Um, but just having that forum and again, like consistently having the practice. So those two things have really helped me because um, again, I've committed to doing them, I'm doing them and then you just get more comfortable. 
So yes. that's helped me, I think, sort of use an authentic voice. Sometimes it's social definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> social media is still a bit of a beast for me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love, I love, like, I think there's some amazing people out there that I find very inspiring. And so, um, but I haven't sort of, I guess, maybe found my, the best groove for me in that. But um, I think it can be done. And I think it's awesome. You know, if those that's people. That's the, uh, the content creator vibe that <laughs> it's like you're, you <laughs> as a business owner kind of straddling, especially if you're the face of the business, being a business owner. And then now because of social media, being a content creator, unless you exactly. have somebody creating all your content for you, but right. you, you're probably still going to need to be in it. <laughs> right. If it's going to be authentically yours, like you have to have some piece of it. And especially initially, you probably have to do most of it, if not all. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I right here, but I, I, I like the creative spot though, because mm -hmm. I think from my journey, um, just to share a little bit about what happened in my space, I was a faceless person in the federal government and mm. my IP and everything that I would put out there would get completely scrubbed of me and put out to millions mm. of people. And, and it would get, you know, tons of reach and tons of engagement and you know, all the things you want as a creator, yeah. but I had no part in it. My name was nowhere on it. And so just being able to not be faceless has been a complete shift because uh. it's like just totally different now where it's like, oh, here's my face. And then here's my name and here. Oh yeah. I'm the one speaking And Oh, by the way, if you hire me, I'm also the one consulting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of now you're everywhere. Now yes. I'm everywhere. Yeah. I, I'm, I, and it's funny because people tell me that they're like, wow, you're everywhere. And I'm like, no, I'm just where I can be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're where you need to be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's awesome. So I, I usually ask people about mm -hmm. their challenges, but you just answered that when you mm. answered our last question. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just flip it on you and say, mm -hmm. what's been your most triumphant moment? Mm. You know, I think I don't know that I have a singular moment, but I will say that for me, my triumphant moments is when I get that email from the entrepreneur I've been working with who shares like a win that they have, or there's something, you know, a mindset, some issue we've been working on and they felt like they like, you know, overcame it that day and they were able to succeed. So for me, um, or just like when I'm having conversations and I'm meeting with clients and they're like, ah, oh, they have aha moments or they're, you know, um, so for me, it's like, it's all those combined is my triumphs. I don't have sort of one pivotal, pivotal moment. Um, but rather I just really try to, um, sort of acknowledge and enjoy though that, because to me, that's what it, that's what it's really about. And I love those. I, I had one today where a woman said, oh, I, I worked with this grant writer and it, it was like, I needed to hire her all the time, but what you're teaching me, I can do on my own. And I was like, yeah, she goes, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it so much more sustainable? <laughs> So I'd love to ask you yes. this question because it yeah. always uh, comes to mind. Sustainability means different things, particularly if you've worked in the eco space, but mm -hmm. what does sustainability mean for you in this impact-based work? I mean, to me, when I think of that in this realm, it's, um, it's something that is enduring. So something that can, can last without causing detriment. So, um, so that there aren't sort of negative effects and consequences and hopefully there are positive ones, but like, it's the long game. It's the, you know, um, 
because there's so much that happens, especially in this business space and the online space, right? There's kind of these flashes in the pan and, and things, right, that people are doing and these, you know, they have these amazing sales or they have all this stuff, but it's like a lot of time, well, one, we know that that's not even always accurate what's being promoted, but also it's not sustainable in the long run. Like you, like it is not um, a sprint, right? If you really want to, if you really are doing this and you want to grow a business, it's, and so it's creating something that can endure in that way and also not run you into the ground and not run your work into the ground. So that's when I think of sustainable, I'm really looking, um, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And everyone has a different definition and take Mm -hmm. on it, which I think is so interesting because for me, I'm very in alignment with what you said. It's almost like things have to naturally run a course, but it's able to run the course with where the outcome is supposed to be. So wherever that outcome that we're aiming for, that's what we're really working towards over time. And sometimes things, like I said, end or they have to end, that things don't have to perpetually go on forever. I don't know if you agree with that. Oh, I do. Yes. I mean, that's also true, right? I mean, there there can be a natural time that something does end or there's a different, it goes someplace else for sure. But when that's like, that happens not because um, there's sort of a crash and burn, I guess. Or like an end in funding. <laughs> that oh, we're, right. <laughs> our grant over, we're closing the doors. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> we hear that. Uh, yeah. And the federal government, we hear that all the time. Oh, the grant's over. Well, we're just going to shut down that program and fire all the staff. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. What are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> that was not the intent at all here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love, I love the idea of um, working towards a goal, having measurable outcomes, all of these things that impact-based work gives you because you're mm-hmm. able to see the difference that you make. You're able to have like tangible metrics or ways to measure the difference that people are making. And, you know, I'm always curious with you how in your business, how do you measure like your tangible difference that you've made? You know, I, um, again, so because, you know, I feel like I'm, my passion is working with the sort of, I guess, people on the front line of the businesses they're bringing to the world. So for me, I, um, so, so one is just that person that I'm working with and seeing them able to make those changes, make moves that are better for them. That's furthering their business. Um, sort of the, the next level would be what I love to see then is that impact that they're having right in the world and the way that they, and there's so many ways, right. That, that people are bringing that forward. So, so to, so that's kind of secondary for me. Um, but also important. I mean, like I work with people and I still connected to them. You know, I feel like it's just an ongoing like relationship and and connectivity. And I love still supporting and being involved in these different businesses, even though I'm not, they're not a client of mine in the moment, but it's just right. Being sort of part of what they are doing and, and recognizing those benefits. I like that the idea of two different kind of levels, because I, I work a lot with people on their level as well as then mm. in, in the organizational level. And I think that it's sometimes we um, forget that organizations are made by humans. You know, we're made yeah. by, by people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what you're reminding us is that, hey, there's <laughs> these people here. And I'm sure you have to work with people on their well-being because I know that comes mm. up a lot for me. Um, but how do you maintain your well-being so that you can continue to show up for these other wonderful humans yeah. who are doing all this amazing work? 
Yeah. Um, so for me, what I have found um, sort of most effective is the the whole, how are you starting your day, right? Is the day starting you or are you going to start your day? And so, um, so that for me has been one of the biggest things um, is just getting a great routine around that. That's including like moving my body. Um, I, we were talking before we started recording about, we both have dogs and I have a dog who needs a lot of exercise. And I'm so grateful because uh, I also live someplace with a lot of snow, but every day, it doesn't matter how snowy or cold we are out. And that to be outside, um, I've realized like being outdoors, moving my body, um, kind of starting, I get my water and my coffee and like, you know, kind of doing my morning meditation and gratitude getting family out the door. But that for me, if I don't do that in the morning, I can tell it, it throws, throws my day. So for me, um, if that's the only thing that happens is sort of all those things in the morning, I'm going to be okay. You know, <laughs> there are other yeah. things too, but that for me, I would say is the top, like figuring out what's worked best for me to get my days going. Yeah, I and people think I'm strange because my day starts and usually around 930 or 10 in the morning. And I said, well, that's the that's the work schedule that I've built oh, for myself. Yes, I work with clients and they I and we work on like this sort of thing. But I, you know, I work with some who are more like creatives and a lot of creatives like to be up at night. Uh, <laughs> and so they're like up until three in the morning. And, and I said, I don't it doesn't matter. Like you have that freedom and control. I mean, if your business can manage a different right time schedule um, and you can still meet with people and do all that, but yes, whatever time that doesn't matter. I don't think yeah. the dog walk is most important. <laughs> That's yeah. The, <laughs> really. have, the Someone, morning and the evening dog walks are like, don't touch yes. this. <laughs> I know someone's like, I need to walk more. I'm like, get a dog. <laughs> I know. But then, but then no, you're going to be walking some, every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I admire that you go out in the snow because those are my, the days I hate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I have learned. I've really learned to love them. And my dog loves the snow. And that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> I know. So shout out to dog owners who walk yes. in the snow because Wendy is not a fan and I, I begrudgingly do it and she loves it. And I'm just hmm. like, how long are we going to be out here? <laughs> And she's like, not long enough. She's like, oh, we got another mile right. to go. You know? <laughs> the worst. So the last couple of questions I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you, um, if you were going to go back and give advice to someone starting way back in early in your journey mm -hmm. of social entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. because we do have a lot of people who are starting out listening yeah. to this podcast for inspiration, what would be the, the biggest thing you wish somebody told you or what would be your advice to this person? Mm. Um, I mean, first of all, if you have an idea and it's in this social enterprise world, I, my advice is just get working on it because I think a lot of times we just, we wait and stall and, oh, you know, this isn't a, there's so, there's a gazillion excuses not to do it. Uh, really? I mean, <laughs> but I mean, I think the biggest advice is just get out there and do it. Don't keep sitting on it. Really. I mean, and then the world, I think, and I just think more and more, um, you know, I, as I mentioned, I was introduced to social enterprise over 20 years ago and it was kind of, I, I, the space has grown since then. And so I just think it's more ripe for this. 
Um, and so I just, the biggest advice is just jump in. Yeah. And I, I do a lot of, like I mentioned to you before the idea to action situation for early stage entrepreneurs because yes. of this problem where people mm -hmm. tend to sit in that um, idea paralysis and being overwhelmed with their desire to help, but not being able to really move into the space where they're doing the helping. So I completely appreciate that. And I know you mentioned marketing and branding really early on in our conversation mm. and more and more consumers are thinking about how can I work with instead of company B that just wants profit, a company that represents something similar to my value set or what I want to see in the world. So what do you think about um, where we're going with this idea of consumerism, socially conscious consumerism yeah, and yes. choosing social enterprises? Yes. Over everybody else in the market. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It is. Um, I mean, it's a very real thing, actually. And even from a um, generational perspective, I have um, my oldest, um, our, our oldest kiddos are actually, they're not kiddos, they're young adults. And I could already see um, they're in their early 20s. And, and I can already see with that um, generation that there's a lot more interest in what these come, where they're buying from, what these companies are doing. I mean, it's not that everything can, you can't always find a substitute, right. That you want, but there, but just that interest, I think, um, is, is growing. And I think a lot of that's going to be driven by our younger generations, quite, quite frankly. Um, and I just, and that's, I will also say what I love about this question is to me, your purchasing power is part of the social impact you can have, right? And so when we talk about social impact, it's not only this external, like kind of what your output is and what what you're effect, affecting in a positive way, but it's how you're doing business, how you're doing your work internally um, in your business. And so purchasing is a big piece of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with the generational comments yeah. because I think that that's going to really revolutionize business in a lot of different ways where we're expected to find some sort of alignment with these brands. And I think small businesses will probably struggle in this because it's just not the way small businesses have maybe been taught to think. So if you had some advice for a small business owner who's thinking, oh, maybe I need to align and you know make a bigger impact or show how I'm making mm. an impact. What would you tell a small business owner who is thinking about getting um, getting themselves maybe more in alignment with social enterprise or with their own their values being as prominent or their impact mission being as prominent as their their profit mission? Yeah, I um, so I always say like first thing is to um, do a little bit of I do a little bit of dreaming and visioning. And so first of all, really like think about, well, what are you passionate about? And what is the business? If you have an existent business, what is that business? And is there any kind of synergy between these things, right? So first of all, it's just even kind of like looking kind of that big picture and that visioning and spending time doing that and thinking about it. And then um, and then I think also kind of to what I was just mentioning before is going more internal, right? And saying, okay, um, you know, maybe the sort of the impact of your business that might take time because you're maybe figuring out what that would look like if you added social impact. But what about your purchasing decisions? What about, you know, if you have to hire anyone or, right, like thinking about like livable wages, um, like just the, the process that you're doing that, um, 
maybe it's even just starting to commit to a donation on a like consistent basis, right? With your profit. So there's some kind of a few easy things that you could start doing. Um, but to, but really take that time, take like 30 minutes, shut everything down and really just like, just dream a little bit. Right. Because there's like, I mean, I have seen like a, a cleaning business that pays livable wages, that does advocacy work at the Capitol, that has started a line of green cleaning products, right? I mean, how cool is that? You know, you think of like, wow, there's like many ways that this cleaning business is doing incredible social impact work. So I love that example because it's like you can take any business and look at it differently. Yeah, I have a client who is a, a local fitness studio, a very small gym. I mean, thinking you can't fit more than 10 people in there at a time, small. Yes. <laughs> and they're going to work with community partners to run youth clinics over the summer mm-hmm. for disadvantaged young people in our community. And it's just such a nice, refreshing thing to see that, you know, a business who naturally is helping people through the function that they serve is also still looking for a way to give back. And I even have... Um, Another example of a couple of businesses that um, use a certain payment system because that payment system allows them to give a portion directly to a nonprofit mm. that they partner with. So if they you know, completely changed their payment system, that could even be a really easy way for a business to commit to serving yes. others. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's really once you start thinking about it, you can... There's so many, just even little things you can start to do. The other thing I will mention, um, Wendy, is I do also have a quiz that people could take. And it's called, Am I Using My Business as a Vehicle for Social Change? And if you go to my website, you can just take the quiz. But it's kind of fun because it also, by taking it, you also can get some ideas. Oh, cool. I'm so excited. And we'll make sure to link the quiz in the show notes. So that way people can get it directly into the show notes. So if you're listening to the show, check the show notes for the quiz and we'll make sure that that's in there and as well as Stephanie's website. And you went exactly to where I was going, which is (laughs) the final question for you is if people were listening to this and they just like loved your personality, loved what you had to say and want to work with you, um, who should be working with you? Why might they want to work with you? And what, um, where can they find you to connect? Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So the the who is really the person who, and maybe you don't realize that you have a social business, or maybe you're trying, you have an existent business that you want to add social impact, or you have what you clearly know is a social impact business. Um, and the stage would be that you are probably past ideation and have had you've had some sort of sales, some, you know, or have some experience. Um, and the reason for that is because uh, part of our work will be to, to take what we know and what you've demonstrated to, to really amplify it or figure out the direction to go. So it's when you might have multiple things going on, looking to have, you really need to start focusing. Um, that's probably the sweet spot of where I, I work best with people. Um and you can find me at my website, which is sparkgood.net. Um, and then I hang out just on LinkedIn and Instagram. So <laughs> she said <I'm> just. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's so much out there, but that's that's where I have my capacities right now. 
No, it's it, it's always good. And this is why I ask people so that people can align with the place that they'll be able to most find you showing up because, yes. you know, you may not be omnipresent. <laughs> so, yes. Very it's true. Good, good to go right to the right source. So <laughs> this has just been a wonderful conversation with you. Oh, I really appreciate person. it. I'm yeah, so happy new, to connect with you. New friends I that I like, love. <laughs> I know. And I'm always like, there's another me and she's further along. <laughs> And it's like, gives me so much joy. And so I definitely don't think of you as a competitor. I think of you as a collaborator no, who I love. And, absolutely. Um, I can learn so much from, and I'm just so excited that we're friends. Yes. So, likewise. Likewise. Thank you for being so thank you. part of our season two. And it's just a wonderful story to share with people. So thank you so much. Well, happy to have talked with you. So thank you. Yeah. And so to all our listeners, thank you for being here with us. Mm. We have had a wonderful conversation with Stephanie. Say your last name again. Oh, Maylon Rufi. Maylon. I, I knew I was going to get yeah. the Maylon wrong. So say okay. Stephanie Maylon Rufi, <laughs> who has been our guest today talking to us all about social enterprises and stay tuned for another episode of the Social Impact Level Up podcast, where we are talking all about social enterprises, nonprofits and impact. And we're blurring it all together, as you heard in this conversation today. So thank you so much to everyone for being here. Take care. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Social Impact Level Up podcast. It's been awesome to interview today's guest, and I hope.